Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Terrible Terror Podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and I'm here to talk to you about terrible horror movies. Now... I'm a big fan of horror films, but not those huge theatrical releases. Hell, not even most B-movie releases. I'm talking about those ones that you find at the bottom of the basement. If you made a horror movie shot on a digital camera or on your phone, I really want to see it. If you managed to MacGyver all of your own digital effects and special effects, please send me a copy to watch. I just really love bad horror. Now, to me, there are two categories of terrible horror movies. First, there's the so-bad-it's-good type, your Troll 2s, your Jason Xs, and so on. These movies are pretty bad, but you have a really good time with the film. You'll laugh at the special effects, and maybe there's some good gore, but in all in all, it's a pretty terrible film. Then there's the shit suckers, the films that are so bad that it's hard to get through. It could be because the acting is just wooden or the story makes no sense at all. Well, in this podcast, I'll be covering films from both sides of the tracks. No matter how bad the movie is, I make a pledge to make it to the end and give my most honest review. This will be released twice a month with a new film covered in every episode. I picked this week's film, but I'm always open to suggestions on what to watch next. I do suggest you watch the film before listening to this podcast, but it's not really required as I will spoil the entire film in case you don't want to watch. Also, just a quick warning, the audio snag from the clips in this episode were a little on the low and kind of an audible side, so I had to adjust them, and they're a little wonky. I promise this will be better in later episodes as I've picked a hell of a movie to watch. What film am I talking about? Well, this week, we're watching...
That's right, we're going to be talking about Terror. This film was released on February 14, 1986, and was one of the best Valentine's Day movies about a monster that was sent digitally through the universe, only to terrorize a family through the satellite dish. We're in for a treat, folks, as this comes from Charles Band, who is best known for his full moon films, such as Blood Dolls, Evil Bong, and the later Puppet Master movies. As one of the kings of B-movie horror, I had very high hopes for this film. Open upon the planet Pluton, where we see images of a monster that's being fed by some random alien guy that kind of looks like Centauri from The Last Starfighter or the creature from The Black Lagoon. He then goes to a console and pulls the flush button, which digitizes the monster, and it's shot throughout the universe. Then it bounces the planets, making pinball noises, and flies at the camera, and that's where we get the title sequence with the theme song. It's weird that when they're rolling the credits, both Burt Remison and Alejandro Ray are the special with credits during the scroll. I looked both up, and really only Alejandro Ray was in a movie I recognized, uh, everything, The Flying Nun, as well starring as Captain Luis Reda in the TV show Dallas. I guess that's kind of where the budget went for this movie. Well, we then meet our victims of this film, the Puttermans. There's a weird zoom into the living room, and oh my god, what the hell is up with this place? All over the walls, there's nothing but S&M, nudity, and other random sexually explicit paintings all over the walls of their house. I mean, seriously, there's a boob iron on one law, a lady spread eagle on another, and then some random painting of a lady with drooping boobs. The boob iron is something I'll never get out of my head. Ever. It then pans to the mom, Raquel doing some sort of uh, 80s exercise in her seriously 80s-style leotard. If you asked me, Brian, what did people look like in exercise videos in the 80s? I would point her to a picture of this lady, and she's also very manly, but that's nothing against her. She yells outside to her husband, Stanley, who is trying to get together his satellite TV called the Do-It-Yourself 100. I'm pretty sure there's some innuendo in that, but I'm not biting. It's funny, though. When we look at the actor playing Stanley, he looks like an older version of Jared from Pro Jared. It's kind of creepy and funny at the same time. The doorbell rings, and we see the troll doll hair, uh, or gem hair, if you prefer that, daughter Susie, run to the door and answer it. That's when we get to meet Grandpa, who is the crazy military pipe, and he's played by Burt Remison. He has a sign on him that reads, Lizard Tales, a self-regenerating food source for survival. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of food sources, I sure as hell don't think about lizard tails. I'm pretty sure that some sort of foreshadowing with that will come. Uh, but then again, you know, knowing this film. Uh, there's also a, the hat that he wears that has aircrafts kind of like coming all out of it. And then there's a statue he decides to hang his hat on. It looks like one of those Italian Renaissance statues, you know, all marble and kind of like naked women. You know, like somebody took the Venus de Milo and made it into a marble statue. But lo and behold, it's a water fountain. And I'll give you the first guess where the waters come out. Well, if you said from another's, you'd be wrong. And why would you think of that first, sicko? Nope, it comes from her good old nip-nips. Now, when I saw the trailer before, I know we're going to meet a young boy soon. But what is up with the decor of this place? New paintings everywhere, the boob fountain, the boob iron... It's like one big sexual fantasy land for the parents. Why would you have this with a young teenage daughter and a young son living with you? Wouldn't you rather have a room or an in-law's house to hang all this stuff? Uh, But I digress. So back outside, salesman Norton seems to be interested in drinking Stanley's product placement, 
rather than helping him set up his satellite dish. Say, Mr. P., you mind if I grab another hiney? Look, Norton, if you're going to hang out and guzzle my hineys, the least you could do is give me a hand here. Grandpa then comes out of the house, two that are working on the satellite outside. Stanley's son, Sherman, comes out of the foliage and pretends to shoot Grandpa dead. Grandpa salutes the little guy while Stanley continues to get pissed for the satellite not working properly. After getting extremely frustrated and beating it with a hammer, we cut back into the house where Stanley is using the world's largest remote to get the channel to come into focus. One of the first channel he stops on is a porno channel, which just happens to be channel 69. I, I thought we could at least get a rim shot. Fellas? Nope. Nothing? Anyway, Stanley says Pleasure Palace or Pleasure Zone or Pleasure Dome, I'm not sure which one it is, uh, when he first turns to it, which will become a running throughout the movie. After much random surfing from 80s metal and military movies, Grandpa decides that the family needs to watch military shows for educational purposes. He fights with Stanley for the remote and then fries it, making the TV shoot some sort of bolts of energy out of it, moving the satellite dish outside and blowing the back door open. These are the 80s special effects I want to see in a bad movie. Those terribly animated lightning bolts over the film really add to the cheese factor. That's when the TV changes over to Medusa's Midnight Horathon. Grant is immediately drawn into the program. Will you look at those hooters? And he gives his reasoning of why they need to watch it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. War stories and monster movies are educational. They're survival-oriented. They always neutralize the enemy in the end. Now, is this going to be some type of foreshadow for the rest of the film? Or is this just going to be one of the things that they decided sounded cool and they're never going to talk about again? I guess only time will tell, right? The doorbell were introduced to Susie's boyfriend, O.D., a righteous 80s metalhead played by John Grease, who is known for his role as Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite, further now to be known as Metal Rico. So Metal Rico is here to take Susie out and meet her parents for the first time. Now, Metal Rico is your stereotypical 80s depicted metalhead. The patch jacket, the studs, and the rings to match. He looks the parents up and down gives them the air guitar. Uh, Raquel seems to be pleased with her daughter's choice, smiling as she looks him up and down, uh, while Stanley is silent, accepting it, though his face looks despised and disgusted. Susie asks if she and Metal Rico can use the jacuzzi, but Raquel informs them that no, they may need it because they plan to swing. Wait, you're letting your young, I'm assuming 16, maybe 17-year-old daughter, know that you're going to go swinging to and you're okay with her possibly using it for a boyfriend? Uh, I, I just don't know where to begin with these parents. <sighs> anyway, since they can't use it, they decide to go out for a bit and they'll come back later. Stanley and Raquel are also going to go out, which leaves Grandpa and Sherman to relax at home and watch the Hooters, I mean Medusa, uh, for her monster horrorthon. Grandpa puts the remote while trying to get back the military channel, and he brings the monster on TV. We get better views of the monster's fangs and eyes, then it goes back to fading into Medusa's boobs. Eventually, they both fall asleep while watching TV, and the TV begins to act strangely. The monster then comes out of the TV and, like a creepster, goes under the blanket in front of the kid. This wakes the kid up, possibly because the monster went for the kid's no-no place. Ma, I need an adult. And Grandpa thinks it's actually a burglar that's in the house. They go into Grandpa's room, which happens to be the form of a bomb shelter. 
There's a lot of war materials littering the walls, but there is an SF Giants pennant and an LA Police Service poster on the wall, kind of planning their house to be somewhere in California, maybe in between North and South. Well, while they're in the bunker, Norton the salesman comes back to the house to the worst backdrop I've seen in a long time. It's not so bad with the foliage, you know, with the nice plants there and the, the trees there, or the bushes, I would say, that go, you know, and block the neighbor's yard. But once we're shown the beautiful night sky, it's as fake as it could ever be. To best describe it, it looks like those fake backgrounds that they're using in the 1950s movies, but this happens to be 30 years later. While he's there to fix the satellite, the monster appears and it ends up eating him. Meanwhile, Grandpa back in the bunker has loaded Sherman with a semi-automatic rifle and the fakest grenades in the history of somewhat modern cinema. Grandpa then ditches Sherman by asking him to watch the foyer to go get all liquored up, only to be confronted by the monster. It grabs Grandpa and starts squeezing his head, which causes green blood to start pouring in a good gore scene. Sherman then comes out from guarding the foyer and sees the monster finish Grandpa, leaving only his dog tags behind. Meanwhile, we see two cars roll up, with Stanley and Raquel coming home with two new friends. This is where he met with the most annoying voice since Audrey from The Little Shop of Horrors. He has a very Latin lover in the form of Spiro, who is also very enamored with the house. Otherwise known as the uh, pleasure zone. Yes, Stanley, you've said that multiple times already. I'm not going to refer to it as the pleasure zone. Sherman then runs the living room to both his parents and their swingers guests surprise, to which the annoying voice girl asks, Will he be joining us? What? What? Okay, what bothers me the most is not that she asks this, but that no one blinks an eye that a 10-year-old would be joining them for their swinger party. And the fact that Raquel is mad that he's even awake. He should be asleep so they can go and fuck some strangers. Uh, Let's not ask why this other grown woman would wonder if my child would join in our sexy times. No, 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 no. I'm just going to be mad that my kid is awake. That's the response that you get, and that's the face. Man, we're not going to be able to fuck these other people if you keep running around the house. So, basically, Stanley goes off and decides to show the swingers around the house, where Raquel takes Sherman back to the bunker. When she goes back to the room, the monster impersonates Grandpa with his this weird eye thing that he's got and convinces Raquel that he's okay, and then she locks Sherman in the room with the monster. After Sherman constantly tries to say that that's not Grandpa, that's the thing. <sighs> well, they're parent of sure. So the monster manages to disappear from Grandpa's bunker which prompts Sherman to call the cops, only to be met with the rudest cops who don't believe him. Yes, we've all seen this before. Cops yell at a kid because he's speaking of monsters from the TV, only to not send anyone to check it out. Even if it's a prank. You know, somebody died. We're not going to send anybody. Don't worry about it. Well, Stanley has eventually led the swinger friends to the jacuzzi, where his big-ass remote seems to control everything in the house. He's an inventor, after all. Goes to turn on the TV... And a video of the alien we previously saw plays. People of Earth, you must heed my warning. Destroy your satellite receivers. Dismantle your communication systems. 
Render your television sets inoperable for the next 200 Earth years. It may already be too late. Of course, he's too much swinging and ignores what's actually being shown on the TV. And when Spiro asks him what exactly was that that was showing, he explains this. I, I don't know. Jeez, it, it looks kind of like that Japanese thing. Uh, you know, whatchamacallit. Uh, you know, where, where the Martians steal all the Earth women and knock them up. Uh, you know, to, to repopulate Mars. Oh, that sounds kinky. Is that hardcore? No. No, it's not hardcore, annoying voice girl. In fact, that's just called hentai. Well, after explaining what's going on, Raquel shows back up and they split the couples into two groups. Stanley and the annoying voice stay in the jacuzzi room, while Raquel and Spiro go off to the kitchen. He's going to go make her some type of drink. I think it was mimosas or some type of crap that he's going to get her drunk on. Uh, it doesn't take much convincing to get annoying voice girl into the jacuzzi. She takes off her dress and already has her swimsuit on. Now, if this were you or I, wanting to swing and getting on with this, I'll say somewhat good-looking, though screechingly high-voiced person, you'd just rip off your clothes and jump in the pool with this lady, right? Well, that's surely what Stanley did. Hell no. That fool decides to leave the room to change and leave the girl by herself. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You have the sure thing in your jacuzzi. Why would you waste your time getting changed and coming back? Just rip that shit off and jump in. Hell, you'd be halfway to the deed if you just jump in with the goddamn pool. So after this fail, we're back to go jump back to Sherman in the bunker. Since he can't get the cops to believe him, he thinks the next best thing is to call Medusa. She tells him what's going on and replies to him in the bitchiest way possible. So tell me, Sherman. Currently under psychiatric care. No, really? Sorry, Sherman. Time's up. So after dismissing him as a psycho, we go back to the kitchen with Spiro and Raquel. Stanley walks up in his new swimming attire and accepts a drink from Spiro. Raquel asks for a moment for them to talk and Spiro excuses himself. In that time, Raquel explains that Spiro is one of those foreigners who loves the butt, but not with women. He's expecting to get with Stanley, but Stanley won't have any of it. While Stanley is making his way to the jacuzzi room with Raquel, Spiro notices that annoying verse girl is in the water. Unlike Stanley, he jumps right in the pool and starts swimming to her. Hell, he even has a swimming suit underneath his clothes. I don't understand how, you know, they can manage to meet these two people that already have their swimsuits on underneath the clothes. Yet they can't prepare in the same way. I I don't understand them. I, are they new to swinging? Who knows? What he doesn't notice is that the water has gotten all foggy. No big deal, right? <laughs> Not like it's foreboding or anything. What he does notice is that the goo is now starting to be in the water. Uh, okay, there's random goo in there. But he decides that this alien splooge is really some type of sex lubricant. That they're going to use. Sure, this water's all gooey. Oh, they threw a bunch of lube in the pool. Uh, that's when the monster pops up and kills Spiro by what seems like biting his dick. And then two giant sets of teeth come out and chomp him from both sides. Raquel and Stanley, now aware of what Spiro wanted to do, try to confront the couple and get upset that now the pool is filled with what they believe to be some sort of algae. The fog bit, and the monster pops out and stabs Stanley with his claw, and then goes after Racer off-screen. 
Sherman manages to hear the screams from the bunker and calls the police again, crying into the phone, begging them to come. The police one again are bitches, and Sherman screams, Screw you! into the phone. Sherman hangs up the phone and begins to remember what Grandpa had to say about explosive. Remember what I taught you about explosive, boy? Blow your dang balls! He Jimmy rigs a set of explosives to open the door while it cuts to Susie and Metal Rico. Have they really been gone for that long? Oh, uh, returning home from their date. They try to sneak through the door and are greeted by Sherman pointing his gun at them. Susie's first response to that is, Why are you up so late? Not, Why are you pointing a gun at me? Or, What are you doing running around the house with grenades and a bolero on? Uh, he begins to tell them how the monster has come and killed their parents, Grandpa and the people that were brought to the house. Susie doesn't believe him and goes to the folks' bedroom where we get one of the most ridiculous ridiculously bad scenes this entire movie i mean we've already seen quite a bit from the lizard tales to the boob fountain to the boob uh, iron uh but what we get is everybody (laughs) the monster has recreated each of the people he's killed's head so he recreates the mom's head the dad's head so raquel stanley uh spiro an annoying verse girl and they're with all the blankets pulled up to their heads so you can't see anything below. Now, that's not that bad. I could get that. But what's going on is it looks like there's a million snakes in the bed and it's constantly writhing underneath them. And neither Susie, Sherman, or Metal Rico notice this and they just assume, huh, everything's fine. No problem. Hell, even when they ask, where's Grandpa? His head pops out of there and you see him from the, oh, okay, Grandpa is even a uh, swing with mom and dad. So this doesn't last from that long, though, as the monster eventually does come after them. So while they're, it's about to eat Metal Rico, the studded arm cuff he's wearing reminds the monster of the alien from the beginning of the film and how it treated him. The monster decides not to eat Uncle Rico and they discover that they can subdue the beast with food and TV. They even teach it how to say food. <laughs> They even try to see if it likes other things besides TV. Metal Rico even decides to play his band's demo tape for him. This is my band. I wrote this song. have done the same thing at the end of that monster he manages to smash and destroy the speaker to get that god awful music to stop that's not metal metal rico that's not metal at all in the film what i can't understand is how they want to be this monster thing's friend i i mean maybe Susie or metal rico might not have that much of a problem since they didn't see it kill anyone but sherman sure as hell did he keeps a gun pointed on it at all times, but seems happy enough to when he learns that the monster can speak, likes junk food, and loves TV, that it's okay. 
Hell, he even goes along with their plan to call Medusa to see if they can make some profit off the monster by having it on TV. Yes, let's allow this evil creature, who looks like a cross between a gremlin from Gremlins, the shit monster from Dogma, and a junior high school art project. You know what? It killed your grandpa, yet there's no problem exploiting it for money? It honestly makes no sense. If something killed my grandpa, I'd be like, okay, let's exploit this thing. I'd be more like, let's burn this motherfucker down. So, they get Sherman to call Medusa, and she still doesn't believe him about the monster. But Susie takes over and says they're throwing a party in honor of the monster, and she should come and see it. Again, she does brush him off, but she shows some type of interest. Since they're throwing a party, and she's getting off work. After some time, they hear a knock on the door and believe that it might be Medusa. While Susie goes to check it out, the alien from earlier appears again on the TV. At the door, a cop has come to take Sherman for the prank phone calls. So, let me get this straight. They wouldn't send a cop when they were told someone was killed, but will show up if they think they're being pranked for not the first time, but the second? These have to be the dumbest cops I've ever seen in a movie in a long time. Well, while Susie is trying to get the cop to leave, the alien on the TV prompts the monster to go crazy. Metal Rico tries to calm him bound by slapping it in the face uh, to no avail, and so it ends up killing him by having the alien-style mouth come out and chew on his face. It's a pretty well-done scene, but again, there's green blood, which I don't get. Uh, Sherman shoots at the monster, then runs into the foyer to have the cop pull a gun on him as he runs away while throwing a grenade towards the monster. So, the cop then decides to close the door. Why don't these people ever run? I I don't get it. You see the little kid come through. You just heard him unload some shots in another room. He comes by you, takes a grenade, pulls the pin out, throws it at something, and you're going to just close the door and then go investigate where the grenade was thrown. Not see them run away, not run with them. Now, this guy is not smart at all. You know, you either follow the kids or get the fuck out of there. He seriously does one of the biggest horror movie tropes and turning his back to the dangerous area. This in turn allows the monster, this hulking, slimy creature, to sneak up on him and kill him. Oh, okay, I'll just stand here and turn around... Nothing will happen to me, even though I saw this kid with a semi-automatic rifle run away and throw a grenade in the opposite direction because there possibly couldn't be anything there. (sighs) Well, his hand gets eaten off, and then we're assuming that he gets eaten by the monster. So now the kids are hiding in Grandpa's bunker again, and they want to figure a way to kill the monster. So no more trying to make money off of it, no more trying to be friends with it. Uh, They scope out the house afterwards and try to find the monster. They run by Metal's Rico's body, uh, or what's left of it, which has been left on the floor and is now in the shape of a guitar, which is actually kind of funny. They find that the monster is enjoying the jacuzzi and figure away the best way to kill it is to drop the connected remote into the water, effectively frying it. Sherman is the one that has to carry out the plan because Susie's useless and she's holding a gun. But when he's walking over to the remote, he slips and slides on the goo that's been left on the floor from the monster. Even though it's distracted by the day the Earth stood still playing on the TV, 
The monster catches Sherman in the act, who tries to reason with him. Sure, let's see if it'll be okay with you trying to kill it not once, not twice, but three times. I'm your friend. You can trust me. I only have a rifle and grenades handy on me, and I've tried to kill you before. We're cool, right? Psych! So the monster grabs his legs and tries to pull him in, which prompts Susie to unload her gun into it, and Sherman to stab the poor thing in the tentacle. Look, the dude just wanted to watch some TV in the jacuzzi, eat some people, and possibly take over the planet. Is that so wrong? So Susie's able to throw the remote into the jacuzzi right when Sherman's able to cut himself free. Convenient, right? They run into the living room, never confirming the death of the monster, when the TV flashes and the alien finally pops in uh, to the living room. He goes and explains to the kids that the monster is actually a pet called the Hungry Beast. Possibly his pet, we're not sure, but he's in charge of disposing of them when they mutate into the state. If allowed to live, it multiplies and has the possibility to take over worlds. Good for them, he's there to finally get rid of it and correct the mistake that he's done. We cut to the outside and guess who's decided to show up? Good old Medusa, drunk and berating her driver. She goes into the house and sees the carnage that has gone on during the whole film. She notices that the alien is talking to the kids and sneaks around the house. Right when our alien buddy is going to go and finally take care of the monster, Medusa bashes him on the head and breaks the glass of his helmet. This kills him since, as far as I can guess, he can't breathe our air. And his head explodes, so I guess he's pretty dead. The kids become visibly upset, and then the wall tears away, and there's one pissed-off monster. Medusa's realized she's been in the wrong and tells the kids to kill it. Sherman goes and grabs the alien's gun and tries to fire it, only to have it fail. Then Medusa, that bitch, tries to push Sherman towards the monster, and after finally getting the gun to work, causes him to miss. They all then try to run away, with Susie grabbing Medusa's snakes, which now make up her hair. I I don't know, maybe that's some real good glue, but she's able to hold on to them. But they end up getting sucked into her anyway due to its super suction action. It then cuts to the morning, with the car door to Medusa's car opening up and slamming, waking her assistant. A crude imitation of Medusa tells the driver, The studio, Al, and make it snappy. Come on, come on, come on. Wait, what did she say? Ma ma ma. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, come on, come on, come on. I get it now. And that terror vision. Now, is it a bad movie? Yeah, it's pretty horrible. But it's a pretty good time. It has good characters, some good humor, and doesn't really take itself seriously at all. The only thing that gets me are the sexual overtones of the characters. From the paintings on the wall, oh, iron boobs, to the swinger parents and the pleasure zone, or the pleasure dome, or whatever he calls it. Uh, to have these young kids in this place constantly just doesn't seem right, and to have the folks not really blink an eye when the annoying verse girl asks whether Sherman is going to join them is just kind of weird. Yeah, the visual effects, eh, they could be better, but the gore effects, well, they're okay. It's just kind of weird that everybody bleeds green when you think maybe it's turning them into something that it eats up, but it eats most of the body, uh, so it's kind of odd. 
there are a lot of throwback movies on the TVs, which is pretty cool. You get to see movies such as The Claw, War of the Worlds, uh, as well as The Day the Earth Stood Still, and a couple other like 1950s horror movie films. It is pretty awesome to see. Overall, I'd rate the crap factor of this movie as a 4 out of 5. The fun factor is also a 4 out of 5. And the gore factor is actually more like a 3 out of 5 for this film. All in all, I give this film three and a half shit monsters out of five. I'd say watch it, unless you have already. If you'd like to see some good, cheesy 80s horror movie tropes, this is a great movie to watch, and it's one of the first movies you see from Charles Band. Uh, I mean, his name alone should really get you interested in the movie. Well, I thank everybody for listening to this podcast, and... Next time, we'll be looking at this 1985 classic. Jonathan is having a housewarming party. Whoa! What do you guys want to do? Well, we could play hide and go seek. Yeah. What about Trivial Pursuit? Yeah. Trivial Poker. Yeah. <laughs> I got an idea. Let's do a ritual. Bow here. You'd hear about it. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself. <laughs> hey, knock it off. Come. I order thee. The name of the most holy trinity. Come. I order thee. Well, that was fun. No, no, wait. I, I need to dismiss the spirit. So do I. Where's the bathroom? Upstairs. <laughs> Unfortunately, there will be some surprise guests. They have very bad manners. And they have no respect for privacy. They'll wake up the neighbors. What the hell's in there? And they never take no for an answer. Oh, man, that chick is really a screamer. <laughs> Goons, once they show up, you can never get rid of them. Goons, they'll get you in the end. You can always follow the podcast on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast. Any movie ideas that you have that you'd like me to watch through, you can send them to terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact me directly on my Twitter. It's at T00LBERT. And you can also listen to me every other week on It Be Like That with co-host Patrick Solis uh, on Spreaker, Stitcher, and iTunes uh, every time this podcast does not show up. Thank you all for listening. If you have any other movie suggestions, please send them my way. Uh, you know, this is something new for me that I'm trying, and uh, I love any and all feedback. So uh, thank you very much, and talk to you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.